0: Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-four, we're we'll starting in verse one. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned thirty-one years in Jerusalem. And now we'll skip down to verse eight. In the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah, messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, who kept the doors, had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen, who worked in the house of the Lord, to repair and restore the house." They gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy hewn stone and timber for the beams and to floor the houses of which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Jehath and Obadiah of the Levites, of the sons of Meriah and Zechariah and Meshullam, of the sons of the Kohathites to supervise, others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did work of any kind of service, and some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. Now, when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, "I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord." And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book of the king, bringing the king the word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen.
1: Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, and son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the servant of the king, saying, "Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found." For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept, kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those of the king had appointed went to Hilda, the prophetess and wife of Shalem, the son of Tokhath, the son of Hashazrah. The keeper of the wardrobe, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her in that effect.
2: Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods. That they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. then the elders sent and gathered all the elders of Judah, excuse me, the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah in Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book.
0: And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem... Did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers.
2: Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. You may be seated. Will you pray with me as we begin? Father, with the word open before us, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would apply this holy word to our hearts, teaching us what you would have us to know this day from your word. May this church at Hope in Christ be a people concerned about what you have to say. May we be diligent this year to desire to know what you have to say. I pray, Father, that in these days ahead, you would strengthen our faith That we would have ears to hear what you have to say. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to read a summary statement of what's known as HJR 3. Maybe foreign to some of you. I'm sure you'll pick up on it. Marriage. Provides that only marriage between one man and one woman shall be valid or recognized as a marriage in Indiana. Provides that a legal status identical or substantially similar to that of marriage for unmarried individuals shall not be valid or recognized. This proposed amendment has been agreed to by one general assembly. My purpose in bringing this house joint resolution to your attention is not to stir up your political juices. Nor is it intended to steer you away from the word of God. On the contrary, the very subject matter covered in HJR 3 deals with something God's word has already spoken on. God's word's already very clear on this. He's already defined marriage as one man and one woman. While not necessary for the state of Indiana to validate what God has already himself validated. I do believe H.J.R. 3 provides the believer in Jesus Christ an opportunity to take a stand upon God and his word. To voice what God himself has already voiced. That marriage is defined by one man and one woman. Genesis chapter 2 verse 22 says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he, that's God, he brought her, that's the woman, to the man. Church, as a segue into the text, I wanted to place before you a real current issue in our state. An issue that if passed through the House Judiciary Committee tomorrow, I believe, and goes through the General Assembly, will be, guaranteed to be, a hot-button issue from now all the way to the fall elections. Marriage has already been defined. Whether you are Republican or Democrat does not matter. This is God's institution, and He's already put His stamp of approval on it. If you have not yet done so, I do encourage you to take a stand for God and his word by voicing what you know to be true from God's word. There is opportunity to contact some representatives that you have to voice what you know to be true. You see, there are many today who are trying to sideline this amendment from moving forward, thinking it unimportant in comparison to business and education reforms. I believe that God's word would say something different. Take a stand. Stand on God's word and don't settle for apathy or passivity. God created them male and female and he himself brought the woman he created to man and they became husband and wife Let's stand on God's word and not be duped, not be swayed from standing on what God has said about his institution of marriage. His institution of marriage. I believe I touched on something that might just be the rub here. For at the core of this debate on marriage is a gaping, gaping chasm of rebellion against God and his word of truth. Debates and arguments, you've heard them. They abound, there are many, on this issue. But many miss the foundational element needed to address the issue properly. Here's the question, what does God have to say about it? Who's the originator? Who's the founder of this institution? God. What then does God have to say about it? Do you know that in the approximately six and a half million people in the state of Indiana, I believe there are very few, not very many at all, wondering what God thinks about this. You see, when we turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, and we begin looking at the reign of Re- Rehoboam, and you move all the way through the history of the kings through the divided kingdom, through Zedekiah, there are 20 kings in that divided kingdom era in Judah. There's a pattern. There are, there are many patterns established. You see fathers and you see sons... ...and you see brothers... ...one after another reigning and ruling in Judah. And Second Chronicles covers the line of the Judean kings primarily. With each of the kings... ...you see one of two general statements. Something like Asa, for example. Asa did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord... In contrast to that, you may see another general statement like, Jehoram walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. Or you might read this one, Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. So you have this idea, these general statements, good or bad, and you read through the history of the kings, and you get a brief picture of how they reigned, the things that, they regarded it as significant in the God or gods that they served. But you also see whether or not they operated as their own authority or whether they reigned under the authority of the Lord God. You see whether or not God mattered in their lives. You can tell whether God and his word made any difference in their rule as king over the nation. And the pattern you see in the history of the kings is this. Listen, here's the pattern you see. Where one aligns himself under the authority of the Lord God, there is great peace from war. You see God's divine hand of protection. You see that the land is prosperous. The land is granted favor. Where one aligns himself as his own authority, apart from any concern of what the Lord God might desire of him, Or his nation. The result oftentimes is chaos, destruction, war, disease, hardship, pending death. And so you ask the question, should it surprise us that the pattern is so blatantly obvious? Is that a surprise? Hopefully we say no, it's not a surprise. In fact, to give some biblical framework for that, turn your attention. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Deuteronomy for just a moment. I believe this is helpful. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. I'm not going to read, take the time to read the entirety of that passage. I would like to summarize it, though, and say as you're turning there, I want you to know that what is listed here in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, it's about kings, It's about what God's word says about kings. Here's an interesting thing about it. It's about what kings are not to do and what they are to do. Kings haven't even arrived on the scene yet. God is already speaking about these kings that are going to be in place. And he's already given instruction about how they're to operate. Right here. Deuteronomy chapter 17. So let me just give you some handles on what this text says. This is what the king shall not do. He shall not multiply horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. They should not go that way again, he says. Secondly, he shall not multiply wives for himself. As you're reading through the account of the kings, you ought to have Deuteronomy 17 right alongside of you. That's my encouragement. Just just cut and paste. You know, have, have Deuteronomy 17 as you do a study of the kings. And just ask yourself, how well are these kings doing lining up to what God's word says here? If we know anything about some of the kings, we know that the kings oftentimes had multiple wives. God says right here they should not. Should not multiply wives, lest what? His heart turn away. That's key. He shall not greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. That's going to be one that you'll be able to check as you read through the list of the kings. So what's this king to do? I I like this and appreciate this because God doesn't just say what not to do. He also says this is what they are to do. Don't just flee these things, but let's pursue these things. Here's what they're to do. He shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. He shall write for himself. It's almost like he's going to have his own personal copy. This king is intended to have his own personal copy of the book of the law. Why? The text also says this book shall be with him. And he's not just going to carry it around with him and have it with him. He shall read this book all the days of his life. Why? Let me give you four reasons the text says. That he may, first of all, learn to fear the Lord and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Secondly, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. Third, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. It's good to read it all the time, all the day, so that he might not stray from what God wants him to do. And then lastly, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. And we see there that the benefit. For the king, it extends even beyond the king himself. This is intended, his daily intake of God's word was intended not only to be of use and benefit for him, but for his children. That's what God's word says about what the king is to be doing. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not a, I'm not a king and, and maybe you're, you, you possibly are tuning out there. If, if that's so, I just want to have you turn backwards in Deuteronomy just a few verses This will get a little closer to home, maybe. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your what? In your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. These are words of instructions to parents. Fathers in particular, I believe, you shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got. These words, church, in Deuteronomy 6, were a matter of life and death. You see, the people of God were crossing over from the plains of Moab and about to enter a land filled with multiple gods. The cry for Israel to hear, Shema, hear, O Israel, was a resounding hear. You see, this this God that you serve is not the God of those around you. And because the surrounding nations walk in rebellion to the God of heaven, it's going to be important that you bring with you into the land an established, faithful, loyal pattern of walking with God alone. These words in Deuteronomy 6 are not optional. These words were to be in your hearts. Parents. So before the kings come on the scene, there's a command to the people of God, to the families of God, to walk with God himself and to hold fast to his words. Families are called to walk this way. Kings are called to walk this way. And it's such a blessing, church, isn't it, to have before us God's word on how we're to operate. He gave instructions to the people before they crossed over on how they were to live. He gave instructions to the kings before there were any kings on the scene in Israel and Judah. God has set before his people the right way, which is his word. And in operating out of obedience to his word and operating under the authority of God. Nations, households, and can I add churches. will be blessed. Government, family, church. Are they not all? His institutions. These are God's. He's not left us guessing how these institutions are to operate. When will the people of God take a stand upon his truth? When will the people of God be more concerned about what he says than what the world around them says? I praise the Lord for King Josiah who is held up as an example. He's an example. Of one who in the scriptures pursues the Lord. Listen to this in Second Kings 23, 25. Now before him, speaking of Josiah. Now before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. That sounds a little bit like Deuteronomy 6 to me. According to all the law of Moses... Nor after him did any arise like him. Look at 2 Chronicles 34. In the time we have remaining, I'd like to look at this life example of Josiah. I'd like to call your attention to verse 32. And he made, that's Josiah, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. That's the crux of the message. That's what I'm calling your attention to this morning. Take a stand. We have not only a new year before us, Lord willing, while we're, none of us are guaranteed this next day. Many of us, as we turn the calendar to a new year, we look forward with great expectation to a new year ahead of us. The call this morning is to take a stand for God and his word. This is not an option. with all that's going on in your life and in the lives of your family members, with all that's going on at work, with all that's going on in this state, in this country, around the world, I believe the Lord is calling each one of you to take a stand for God and His Word. Let's be clear. What I'm speaking of this morning is not simply some rallying cry to acknowledge with your voice, I'm going to take a stand. That's not what I'm after. I don't believe that's what the text is after. I don't believe this text is here to encourage you to just try harder. While the text exhibits Josiah's call to the people of God to take a stand, the question remains, what does it mean to take a stand for the Lord? What's it mean? How does that get worked out? As you sit here today with Bible open before you, How is the Lord calling you to take a stand for Him? And men, what is it to call your family to take a stand for God and His Word? As elders, the question has also come. What is it to call the families at Hope in Christ to take a stand for God and His Word? What's that look like? Before answering some of these questions I believe there's a prelude to taking a stand. There are preparations involved in taking a stand. And you see this prelude you see some of these preparations exemplified in the life of Josiah. So really the chapter 34 look at verse 3 and 19 and 21 and 27 there are some Key markers, key points, prelude to taking a stand or preparations for taking a stand. Long before Josiah called the people of God to take a stand for God and his word. This is so important for us to see. God had been doing something in Josiah. How do I know? The Bible tells me. Chapter 34, verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign. Now we've got to understand, he began reigning at the age of eight. So in the eighth year of his reign, all you math folks out there, he is 16. While he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. He began to seek the God of his father, David. Praise the Lord that he had a pattern before him in David. You see, Josiah had a father named Ammon, who reigned two years in Jerusalem. A father who, according to chapter 33, verse 22, did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. Josiah had a grandfather named Manasseh, who reigned, listen, he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Chapter 33, verse 2. Two generations before Josiah. Josiah didn't have a lot to emulate. He didn't have a lot to look at. He did, I will say this, I'll put an asterisk by Manasseh and say that we see in the text that there was a humbling of his heart at a point in time in his life. A a, a pattern, a, a picture which Ammon, his son, did not pick up on. But nevertheless, we do see it recorded in the scripture. Manasseh did turn and repent of his wickedness. You know, as I think about this preparation of the heart and a prelude to taking a stand, I'm reminded of this first king and the divided kings, the line of the divided kings, Rehoboam. He was 41 when he became king. That's a good age. He reigned 17 years. And the Bible says he did evil. Listen, listen, here's why. Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. I want you to contrast Rehoboam and what it says there about Rehoboam to what we know to be true about Josiah. Big contrast. Because you see, at the age of 16, Josiah is preparing his heart to do what? Seek the Lord. At 16, Josiah begins to seek the Lord. Young men, young women, several of you in here today. Some of you are 16. Some of you are 13, 14, 17, 18. Right around that time. There's a message for you here I would like for you to hear. Josiah didn't have a godly father, nor did he have a godly grandfather. And yet he began to seek the Lord at a young age. If you read 2 Chronicles 34, you notice that the book of the law is discovered in the house of the Lord by Hilkiah the priest. That discovery doesn't happen though until the 18th year of Josiah's reign age 26. So 10 years prior to the discovery of the book of the law, Josiah is seen seeking the Lord. How did he do that without the word of God present? Well, the text says that he began to seek the God of his father, David. It seems likely that Josiah would have heard something of the history of this man named David. I believe this also, though, is an example of walking in the light of the Lord. Josiah began to seek the Lord at age 16. Listen, he walked in the light available to him at that time. And what's the testimony of the scripture? You see that the Lord opened up additional light for him... To walk in over time, as he was obedient. Second Chronicles thirty four verse three verse three says that in the twelfth year, in the twelfth year, so if he started reigning when he was eight, in the twelfth year would mean how old is he? Twenty. I'll help you. It's tough math. Twenty. Four years later, after he began seeking the Lord, he began, listen to what he began doing. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. Over time, the Lord revealed his light to Josiah and moved him to begin a purging out process in the land. He removed pagan worship altars and other idolatrous images scattered throughout the land. Side note. What does this say about Jerusalem and the land of Judah at this time? Not a good picture, is it? It's not a good picture. The pattern in the land, the pattern in the nation at this time has not been a good one. Contrary to walking with the Lord, we could say. But now here, Josiah is 20 years of age and the Lord... Reveals to him additional light and Josiah moves and he purges the land of these things. I want you to notice from the text that he not only cleansed Judah and Jerusalem, but he did the same thing in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and Naphtali. Josiah is intent on getting rid of this stuff. In seeking the Lord, Josiah walked in the light given to him at the time. If you fast forward six years in the life of Josiah, the text then says in verse 8, that when he had purged the land and the temple, he then sent a few folks to repair the house of the Lord. And I want you to see that what began as seeking the Lord at the age of 16 continues 10 years later in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. A discovery is made on this day. The book of the law of Moses is found. Many of you go, well, you know, I, I've got a Bible that I keep in my book bag, and my Bible bag, and we've got a lot of different Bibles. And I want to encourage you in something here. For quite some time, this book of the law had been absent. And here's the sad part. Perhaps true, but sad. Many of us today have access to God's revelation, his word. And yet how often could it be said of your word that it's missing? It's absent. Nowhere to be found. We have access to this word. Why are we using it so little? Why do we not open it? There was a wonderful discovery made on this day. The book of the law of Moses was found. And there's an assumption planted right there in the text. It's that the book of the law had been absent. It was found. It had been absent. It is now found. What are then the implications of the book of the law being absent? Well, according to Deuteronomy 17, those who reigned as king were to do what? They were to write a copy of this book of the law for themselves. It was to be their handbook for kingship. It was to go with them. It was to be read each day. It was to serve them and their children well. And it was to serve God's people well all the days that the king reigned. And it was intended to impact and influence the way the king ruled. As God continued to shed his light on Josiah, the need to purge the land of idolatry and wickedness, to purge the land of abominations from surrounding nations that over time had made their way into the camp of Judah. And now having purged the land, Josiah is given additional light to walk in. He is about to hear from the book of the law given to Moses. And look at verse 19. Thus it happened. When the king heard the words of the law, what did he do? He tore his clothes, signifying what? A repentant heart. In fact, upon hearing the words of the law, he commissions five men to go inquire of the Lord on his behalf. Look at verse 21. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah. Notice he's concerned for all. (laughs) Israel and Judah. Concerning the words of the book that is found. Listen to what he says. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. To do according to all that is written in this book. You see Josiah's heart is broken upon hearing the words of God in the book of the law. For so long his fathers had not been walking according to God's word. And Josiah recognized something about God. What did he recognize about God? He recognized that great is God's wrath upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. Not just the kings before me, but our fathers. Generations of men who had abandoned who had profaned, who had done away with, who had just put on the shelf and decided they're going to walk contrary to this book of the law. Do you think his heart preparations toward the Lord since the age of 16 had anything to do with his response to hearing this word of the Lord? You see, the word from Huldah, the prophetess, Summarize it in in two, two ways, two forms. First, there was a word specifically about Judah. And that word was this, that God is going to bring calamity on the land of Judah because Judah had forsaken God and burned incense to other gods. The second message that was communicated from Huldah intended to be delivered to Josiah was this, that God, it was a word specific to Josiah, God is going to allow Josiah to be gathered to his grave in peace without having to see the calamity of Judah yet to come. I want you to notice from the text what's spoken about Josiah here in this message from Huldah, the prophetess. She says, speaking from the Lord, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes. That's reference back to verse 19. tells us what he did. He tore his clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. You see the prelude to Josiah taking a stand and calling the people to take a stand it's characterized by these very things right here tender repentant heart humbling himself before God acknowledgment of God's rightful authority in his life and in the lives of his nation a heart receptive and responsive receptive and responsive to hearing the word of God read he tore his clothes he wept And he desired immediately to hear from the Lord. He wanted to know what God thought about this. Josiah had been used by God and had been given light to walk in. The Lord had been preparing the soil of his heart over time to walk in his light. And when God's word is discovered, when God's word is read, Josiah's heart is receptive and responsive. In short, Josiah's heart was prepared to hear from the Lord. Church, is your heart prepared to take a stand for God and his word? Is your heart prepared? If the soil of your heart needs plowed, <laughs> will you allow God to do that work in you that only he can do? Listen, you, you will never be able to place a stake in the sand that, that Joshua, but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord, right? Never be able to do that unless and until your heart is bent toward God in a relationship with him through His Son, Jesus Christ. The call to take a stand will just echo in one ear and go out the other if there is no heart involved. Jesus says it this way, quoting the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15, verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where's your heart this morning, church? What is the condition of your heart on this day, January 12th, 2014? What is the condition of your heart? Have you been trying to take a stand for the Lord with your mouth and hands and feet and realize that your heart has not been in this? I want you to see that the prelude to taking a stand for God and his word is a repentant, humble, heart, responsive, receptive, eager to hear. Eager to hear what God has to say. You see, the life of Josiah provides evidence of heart work that had been done early in his life. And yet the evidence of heart work manifested itself in a plan. God is working in Josiah action steps. What follows in 2 Chronicles 34, 29 through 33 is not some great Josiah idea. I think it's important we see that. But I believe it's an example of what happens when a heart is aligned with God and his word. Josiah's plan of action is an outflow. Listen, it's an outflow of hearing from God. So the second part of this message, I believe, is we see in the text. Plan. Plan for taking a stand. It doesn't just happen by accident. There's definitely a prelude and preparation that's going on in the life of Josiah, but we see also action steps God is working in Josiah. Having heard the word of the Lord and heard the message from the Lord, from hold of the prophetess of the pending calamity of Judah and his sparing of this national calamity what does Josiah do then listen first of all I'd like I'd like to tell you what Josiah did not do and and in telling you what he did not do it's important to contrast Hezekiah the king who who was just a a few generations before Josiah Hezekiah in many ways a, a very good king in many ways but there's one aspect of his life that stands out here, and I believe it's worthwhile to contrast Hezekiah and Josiah right here. Hezekiah had allowed, you might remember, he allowed the Babylonian envoys free reign in the house of the Lord. You remember that? And on the heels of that event, he receives a visit from Isaiah the prophet. If you read the account of the kings, and I encourage you to do so, one of the things you notice when you read the account of the kings is that when the kings decide to go off in their own way, they're going to do their own thing. Almost every single time, if not every single time, it was a pattern as I was reading it. I was picking up on this pattern. God sends a what? A prophet. He sends a prophet. Why? To steer him back. Almost every time he sends a prophet. Hey, what you just did, that's not the right thing. You need to come back this way. God wants you to do it over here. He, or or they just exa- exhort him and rebuke him. And sometimes the kings responded. oftentimes the kings did not respond. They got angry oftentimes. Put them in prison, killed them. In this particular instance, Isaiah shows up. He condemns what Hezekiah did. He pronounces judgment. Here's what he says in Second Kings 20 verse 17. He says, "Hear the word of the Lord. Behold the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon." Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Isaiah goes on to say that Hezekiah's own sons will be taken captive to Babylon. And I want you to look at, at Hezekiah's response to the word of the Lord through Isaiah. He says, The word of the Lord which you've spoken is good. But the text goes on and says, For he said, Will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? Right, here's the point. Hezekiah and Josiah, they're both confronted with pending judgment upon the nation of Judah. Hezekiah's response is selfish. Will there not at least be peace in my day? I'm going to be okay. Compare that response to Josiah. When you read 2 Chronicles 34, 29-33, you don't see Josiah breathing a sigh of relief because he's not going to see the calamity God's bringing upon his people. Instead, you see Josiah doing everything he can to plant God's word in the hearts of all the people. Josiah's plan includes a call to everyone in the land. There there are parts to this plan. The first part is is verse 29 and the first part of verse 30. He sends and gathers all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people. Listen to this. And all the people, great, no matter what your title position was, great and small. All the people. He's calling all the people. Gathering all of them together. Instead of just sitting back and allowing God to do what he's going to do and judging the nation of Judah... After all, I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be seeing it. I've already been told, I'm not. my eyes aren't going to see the calamity that's coming upon you people. He doesn't remove himself from the boat. He's in the boat with the people. And he gathers them together and he sends out an alert to the leaders of the land, the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. No one was exempt from this call. The king of the land, listen, the king of the land is calling everyone together for what purpose? Here's the second part of the plan. Verse 30, end of 30. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. With all of the leaders and people gathered together at the house of the Lord, Josiah reads in their hearing all the words of that lost book of the covenant. We think about the book of the covenant and you think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I was thinking, you know, How long it would take for someone to read all of those. Just read through it. I don't believe length of service was a consideration that day. Josiah's heart was to gather everyone for the purpose of hearing God's word. Did you know there was a similar gathering that took place in Nehemiah chapter 8? When Ezra the scribe reads the book of the law to all the gathered people at the water gate. Remember that? Men, women, children, all who were able to, they were all gathered there. And and the text says, from morning to midday. Or from light, from the light of the morning to midday, Ezra read from the book of the law. That gives us some indication of how long it may have taken. Listen, in there it says, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Nehemiah 8 verse 9 says that the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Church, when you read this word that you have access to every day of your life, it's available to you. How do you respond when you read this word of God? Josiah calls the people to come and with everyone gathered at the house of the Lord, he reads all the words of the book of the covenant. Then what happens? Did they just part their ways and say to one another as they walked home, Hey, that was a great word. No. Keep looking at the text in Chronicles. Then the king stood in his place. By the way, that was custom. There was a place the king stood. Um, If you read another account in Kings, you see that it was by a pillar. The king stood in his place by the pillar. It was a place that the people would recognize him as the king. This is the king speaking. And he stood in his place. And he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, Deuteronomy 6-ish sounding, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. You see, Josiah is not done when he reads from the book of the law. He positions himself in his customary place for the king to stand and he makes a covenant in full view of all the people. He makes a covenant before the Lord. He wants everyone to know that this little gathering is not business as usual. This is not business as usual. He desires for them to see and to hear what God has been doing in his own heart. And he covenants before God to follow, to keep, to perform. Not perform as in doing some dance, perform as in doing. This was not an entertainment. Imagine, just for a moment, the leader of the nation with all of his subjects before him. Announcing to everyone his allegiance to God and his word. A king who is concerned about reigning in righteousness. A king who is concerned about what God thinks. So is he done at this point? Keep looking at the text. Verse 32. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin... Take a stand. Take a stand. After covenanting himself before God to walk with God and obey his word, he then calls the entire nation. Don't miss that. He calls the entire nation to walk with God and to take a stand on this word. Think about it for just a moment. Do you think the entire nation of Judah was tuned into the things of the Lord at this time? I don't, not from what I read in the context. Do you think that Josiah knew where the hearts of many in Judah had plummeted? I think we get a picture of that based on all the pagan worship sites, wooden images, molded images, all these things that were present at the time. Why then? Why then take the risk to put God's word out there knowing that there might be some tension, there might be some disagreement over these words, Josiah? You see, in Josiah, we need to see this and understand this. In Josiah, you see a man who feared the Lord and took action based upon a heart inclined to the ways of God. Listen for just a moment. The catalyst behind, the catalyst behind a spiritual renewal in this country will begin not with the president of the United States, but with you, with each one of you. I'll be more pointed with each one of you fathers, but everyone, specifically fathers. People are clamoring and calling, and wanting and desiring a spiritual renewal to take place. And if all, if we only just had a Christian president, no, that's not how it takes place. Would it be a good thing? Absolutely be a great thing. Is it okay to pray about that? Yeah, we can pray about that. That's fine. That's great. But I believe what we've done is we've, we've, we've instead of taking responsibility, we've decided, hey, you know what? If We just wish and hope that there would be this person who would just make it all go away and would make things better. God uses fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. He used King Josiah for a time to lead the nation of Judah. And the land operated much differently during Josiah's reign. The text bears that out. You see, God used an eight-year-old king in the midst of two preceding generations that had walked contrary to the ways of the Lord. God uses a young man who desires to seek the Lord at 16. God uses a 26-year-old who hears the word, is repentant, humbled, and tender before the Lord. There's a passage, and, and perhaps you don't realize that The word actually comes from Hanani, who is a seer, a prophet of sorts, with a word from the Lord. And he appears before Asa, king of Judah, after he had made a foolish decision to make a treaty with Syria. He had just depended upon the Lord to take out and wipe out a million-man army. He He was done. He was overwhelmed. God rescued him. But when you fast forward a little bit in the life of Asa, now, he decides he's going to make a treaty with Syria. You yeah, wrong choice, Asa. Prophet shows up. Hanani shows up. And Hanani says, from the mouth of the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. You might be familiar with this verse. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Those who what? Those who whose heart is loyal to him. That's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. As you plan to take a stand for God and his word, realize, realize that this God of the scriptures is seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So what's left in the text? Look at the end of Chronicles 34. So all the inhabitants in Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. We talked about some preparation and prelude to taking a stand. And we talked about planning for making a stand, taking a stand. But we see right here, there's this means of participation. You you participate by taking a stand. Sounds kind of obvious. But being a participant. The prelude is to have a tender, repentant heart before the Lord. Have that work going on in your heart. We see that in the life of Josiah from a young age. The Lord was giving Josiah light to walk in. And Josiah was obedient to walk in that light. And the plan for taking a stand involves the word of God, but it's predicated, church, upon the God of the word, understanding that He desires to show himself strong in the lives of his people. People whose heart is loyal to him. And the final piece right here in the text, I believe, is summarized well in 2 Kings 23. The last part of verse 3. And it simply says, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. All the people took a stand for the covenant. In short, they participated They themselves took a stand. It wasn't simply a nice message they heard that day. On this day, they participated with both feet in. They crossed the line. Both feet in. They participated on this day. No dual allegiances. No straddling the fence. No twin desires of the heart. The people participated and took a stand for God and his word. Josiah called them together and he read God's word to them and he declared himself to follow the Lord. And he even put the call out to all the people. But I want you to see something here very important. Josiah didn't participate for them. Josiah didn't try to manipulate the people with clever gadgets and fine-sounding speech. Josiah read the Word of God and he allowed the Spirit of God to do his work in the hearts of the listeners. The Bible says that faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? Word. The Word of God. You know, many of you here have heard the word of God but you have yet to participate. I'm not talking about signing up to serve on a Sunday morning. I'm not talking about preparing and planning meals for Sunday afternoon. Thank you for those who are doing those things. Praise be to God for your act of service to the Lord. I'm talking about participating with your life putting your life in the hands of almighty God to be used for his purposes, to be at his disposal at all times, to be available for him, to desire to hear from him and to walk forward as you receive his light. There's a reason his word is described as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Desires to show himself strong in your life. You participate by taking a stand for God in his word. And you will take a stand for God in his word only if you have been a participant in God's work of redemption through Christ at the cross. Oh, to participate and say you're going to take a stand without first being a participant in the kingdom of God. We must not miss that, church. Here again, I take you back to the heart change that's needed. A heart change that only God can bring about. Josiah couldn't bring about that change in the heart of his people. He could do what God had called him to do and that's put the word forward. There are some here today. probably not too far removed from those gathered in Jerusalem on that day. Some who saw themselves as people of God, and yet something was desperately missing in their lives. You see, taking a stand for God and His Word requires an all access pass to allow God into all the compartments of your life. What do you mean? Well, let's begin with something like work. Some of you work too much. Work the way that you work may be a great characteristic that you are a hard worker. Praise be to God. You're a hard worker. You're diligent in your work. But some of you perhaps work too much and you know you work too much. You are what would be called a workaholic. But the sad reality is that some of you like it. You may, in fact, like the idea that you work so much. You like your time away. Your work is your realm. And if you're going to take a stand for God and his word, your work must be laid down before God. It must not have priority over God and his word. Work is but one area. It's but one arena. But I know it's a big arena, especially for the men here. Money. In a room this size. I imagine that money has been a snare for some of you, if not many of you. You like the idea of taking a stand for God. It sounds wonderful. You, you like it, but to this point in your life, money has tripped you up. It's served as your God. We need to understand, if you're going to take a stand and participate with God, your money must also be placed at his disposal, stewarded for his glory, and it must not dominate your time and attention. Are we to provide for our families? Yes, absolutely. But Be careful. We don't want money to be one of those wooden images, carved images in your life. How about idols? In Judah's day, Josiah purged the land of the high places, the wooden images, carved images, molded images. If you are going to take a stand for God and his word, you need to take an axe. That's what he did. I love the picture, an axe. Some of you young men will really like this picture. Take it, just get that, bang, he's knocking those things out. Take an ax to them. These idols in your life. You see, you can't say yes to God and continue dabbling in your idolatrous lifestyle. Computer gadgets, internet activity, iPhones, iPads, laptops, music, sports, your favorite hobby, your blogosphere. How can you take a stand for God and his word when your heart is more receptive to the social media happenings around you than to what God has to say? I'm reminded of the Psalm: search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. And Lord, I ask that There would be a purging in this church of the clutter that keeps each one of us from standing, taking a stand with you and your word. As an elder and speaking on behalf of the elders here at Hope in Christ, it's my hope that we can serve as examples of what it means to take a stand for God and his word. Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. And as leaders here, I pray that we too Can remove these things that might serve as obstacles to you but as part of the body of Christ I exhort you to take responsibility this day the text says that all his days verse 33 all his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers they had a godly leader yes they did but they were called to walk diligently after the Lord they had responsibility before the Lord to take a stand and church it's no different today Each of you are responsible before the Lord. This church at Hope in Christ will not take a stand for God and his Word simply because the elders declare themselves to do so. The church at Hope in Christ will take a stand for God when each respective part does its work. When each respective part is intentional about hearing from God and not so concerned about hearing from the latest dynamic speaker. About knowing what God has to say instead of Googling the internet for answers. About caring what God has already spoken. And not debating and arguing over whether it should be one man, one woman, for example. I desire to take a stand for the Lord. I desire for the family that God has given to me to take a stand for the Lord. I also desire for this church family to take a stand for the Lord. And bigger yet, I desire for this nation, this world to take a stand for God and his word. I want you to know something. Do you realize that Josiah only lived 39 years? He lived 39 years. He was king when he was eight and he reigned 31 years. And usually when it says the length of their reign, that was the length of their life. That was it. They're done after that. 39 years. That's not very long. And you know, I got the thinking as I'm reading Josiah and reading the pattern of the kings, reading God's word. I'd rather live short here on earth and take a stand for God and his word than live long and give God lip service all the while coddling my earthly treasures and idols, living in disobedience to his word. What's it going to be? The text demands a response, I believe, from each one who has ears to hear. Will you take a stand for God and His Word? Will you take a stand for God and His Word? And I just conclude by exhorting each one of you to do just that. Take a stand. Take a stand. It'll be worth every ounce of energy, Time that you put into it. Because if you do it, if you're walking in the light that he gives to you, if you're allowing God to do his work in you, if you're taking his kingship book, this was the rule for the kingship. It's the same, same rule that we ought to be living by. Same central central standard it ought to be in each one of our homes. This is the way we're walking, this is the way we're living. Are you going to take a stand? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would continue to turn over and plow and do a work in the hearts of each of us here. Father, as we hear your words today, then we see the response from this young king, Josiah, and we see that in hearing your words, his response, his humble heart, his tender heart, his repentant heart. Oh, Father, I pray that as we would read your word, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us. A work that would turn our attention to where you would want us to be. A heart that would be most concerned about what you think. A heart that would fear you above all things. Oh Lord, I pray that we would not be tripped up and snared by fear of men. but we would have each day and walk in the fear of the Lord. That we would take this book that you've given to us, your revelation to us, and not only would we carry it with us, but we would read it all the days of our life. That we would understand that in having this book available to us, we have these wonderful words of life, Not only for us, but they are intended to be shared. They're intended to be passed down to our children. Intended to be shared with others who need to hear this same word. Father, I pray for hope in Christ's church. That we would take a stand upon your word this year. Father, you would purify our hearts. Cleanse us. Father, I pray that Our hearts would bow before you. Father, as needed, Father, we would repent of our ways and cry out to you. For Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. We desire to see you show yourself strong in the hearts of many here. Oh, Father, may that be so. May we be available faithful vessels for you to use. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.